Welcome to episode 358 of the Reformed Brotherhood. I'm Jesse. And I'm Tony, and we are proud members of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Hey, brother. Hey, brother. I say that with some sense of melancholy because the summer of prayer is coming to an end. Well, maybe not prayer, of course, but the summer is, at least where we live. And we already, in some ways, wrapped up our series on speaking about the Lord's Prayer, or better yet, again, the prayer that our Lord gave to his disciples. And yet we discovered as we went through that, there's so much, of course, in the Bible about prayer and so much continuity that we're finding with prayer. And we want to take some time to speak about other prayers in the Bible that find in themselves either reflection or rooting in this same prayer that the Lord gave us. So we're going to kick it old school style, that is like Old Testament style, and look a little bit to Habakkuk on this episode and speak about prayer and how we find, of course, the Lord's Prayer, which we shouldn't be surprised about, of course, in other places in the scriptures. But before we get into that excellent discovery, let's do a little affirming and denying. What are you affirming with on this, the 358th episode of the Reformed Brotherhood? So this is a pretty straight shot, nothing nothing fancy here. I recently picked up a new screen protector for my Apple iPhone, as opposed to some other brand iPhone. Uh, and I've had a number of different brands of screen protectors. And I, I ended up just going back to sort of the classic, like the original screen protector, which was is made by Zag, Z-A-G-G. Oh, that's going way back. And um, one thing that I forgot about Zag that I discovered uh, just today, when you buy a Zag screen protector, it is guaranteed for the life of your product, of your phone, not, not the product itself. So, you know, when you're looking at screen protectors, most of the, the best screen protectors you buy now are going to be glass. You used to be able to get this like invisible shield, like film that would go over it. Um, which was fine, but the, the glass screen protectors are better now. It seems super expensive because it's like $45 for the screen protector. But when you think about the fact that the point of the screen protector is to take the damage rather than your screen, and that when it does what it's supposed to do, they will just send you a new one. And, and you know you have to pay shipping, but they're just going to send you a new one for as long as you have that same model phone, which is uh, a pretty amazing. And I've already gone through two of these screen protectors. Now, I'm probably a little harder on phones because I have a 18-month-old. But um, if you are a kind of person that has like keys in your pocket and you're, you, you break screen protectors, it's a good investment. So ZAGG.com. Uh, they have screen protectors for just what I mean. They sell a bunch of other stuff too. I didn't even realize they sell like chargers and cases and stuff. But ZAGG, their glass ones. The one I have is like, I got like the high end one. So it's like microbial protection and blue light filtering. And it's got like like this special honeycomb structure that keeps it from breaking more. I, I don't know. It's probably all a scam. It's just a piece of glass. But, um, but yeah. And, just another little thing, because I, I can't speak highly enough of this product, apparently. They have a really, really slick application process to put the screen on. So sometimes you get these screen protectors, and it's basically like a piece of glass with a sticky side, and you're like right. on your own. This one, they have like a little tray you put it in. There's little like um, like one side is you peel off the sticky part, and then you put it on, and it's got like a little, little um, pegs that you line it up on, so that way you know that it's on the screen properly. So, and if you happen to put it on wrong and you need to replace it, you just, you just fill out the form. They send you a new one. So 
if you're in the market for a new screen protector or Zag, screen protectors are the way to go. We're not sponsored. I don't think they do sponsorships, but uh, but yeah, check it out. Z-A-G-G.com. That's like the classic, you need a product that's going to help you to protect something that you've purchased that's very expensive that would cost more to replace that item than the thing that you want to use to protect it. But also, it's an insurance play, isn't it? I mean, yeah. what you're paying for there is the fact that you're getting this item that provides a service and then above and beyond that provides some insurance as well right. for that product itself. So this can be very valuable and you're right. If people are hiding on their phones and I've certainly, I have a screen protector on my phone and I have busted that up several times just because of life and because of total depravity. So it makes sense to, I think, invest the money if you can. Well, and I, um, I'm one of those people that like when I crack my screen protector and this was because I, I forgot that they, they warrant their screen protectors. I use it until like, I absolutely can't use it anymore with right. crack state. Right. And like, I went to swipe up my phone to unlock it. And I like cut my finger on the jagged piece of the protector. And I was like, it's time. And then I was like, Oh wait, I just have to go to the website and they'll just send me a new one. So don't be like me. If you have the one that has a warranty, make sure you make use of it. But, uh, and I don't even know if calling it a warranty is like the right thing. I mean, I guess kind of technically it's a warranty, but it's like, no, it's more than that. It's really insurance against yeah. the product itself. Anything happens to it, you get there to swap it out. Well, yeah, you, you really it, it you're really not purchasing a product from Zag. You're purchasing protection from your phone for the screen right. in the form of a product, but because they'll swap it out as many times, you're not just purchasing like a one-piece product. So yeah, it's kind of like this the the lifetime purchase model that you and I like for software rather than the script subscription yeah. model. Yeah, that's very true. I feel like you're setting me up to just totally unhinge this episode about insurance, but that is exactly what insurance is, is you're paying somebody to transfer the risk. Yep. And that's really what you're doing here is anything that happens to that item, it automatically is replaced. So there are, that are a great time. There are great times when that is totally worth it. So if you're listening to this and thinking, man, I could use a new screen protector that I could keep for life. It's like matrimony style. Yeah. Then apparently Zag is where it's at. That is old school though. Like they were one of the original players. I, I think remember. they were. Yeah. I think they were the very first. I remember when I worked at Best Buy, which it was like 13 years ago that I left Best Buy now. Um, we got like a sick discount on their invisible shield uh, stuff yeah. when it first came out. Cause they were tr really trying to get the market to understand their product. And it was like, what is this like filmy weird thing you stick on the surface of your screen? So they made all like the geek squad people. They gave us this really deep discount to purchase it. And then it was like, Oh my goodness, how did I, how did I ever use a smartphone before without this kind of thing to protect it? So yeah, there's, I, I suppose we probably could, go into a theological discourse about this, but we probably shouldn't because I know that we're on a little bit of a compressed timeline today for our episode. So what are you affirming today, Jesse? That's fine. By the way, like the astute listener will have heard that slight, almost imperceptible pause in your voice that happened right there. That was just so everybody knows the collective gasp of, do we go into a theological conversation right now? Or do we just move on? Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Unfortunately <laughs> today, because we have a compressed timeline, we do have to just move on. I think another time. Yeah. Another time. There's going to be another hit me with your affirmation, Jesse, another 358 episodes. So as a person who enjoys music, uh, certainly appreciates music as an act that God has given us to worship him and in some ways, attempts at times to create and author worship music. There's some songs that you hear and you just think, I wish I had been able to write that song. Yeah. And so I have three nephews. Your son is one of them. And one of my nephews, who is two years old, is visiting us. 
And uh, so he's he's a young guy and he's enjoying the world and rocking out to interesting music that I have not been exposed to before. And so I came across this song that apparently he really likes that I wish I had written myself. It's just two words. I'm going to encourage everybody to stop what you're doing right now. Once you hear these words and go search for it yourselves, you can find it wherever you find music. The two words are pancake robot. So this is an incredible song. It's just super fun. It's got like this techno beats. Let me just give you a taste by way of some of the words. It's just like innocent, lovely fun, written in an upbeat meter. That's the kind of music that you think this is just enjoyable. There's nothing else. Like this is the common grace of God that music like this exists and that two-year-olds and 43-year-olds can rock out this alike and have super amazing time. So here's some of the lyrics. Pancake robot, come and get them while they're hot. The pancake robot is coming to town. He's mixing up the batter and he's laying it down. Buttermilk, blueberry, chocolate chip, 50 million pancakes, he's going to flip. All you can eat, yum, yum. All you can eat, yum, yum. Pancake robot is coming to town. And there's a second verse, which is even better than that. But it's just like joyous to see children in particular. And I know your son is just like this. AJ is like this. Like love music, move to music. Nobody has to teach this. This is what God does for us through music. It's a way of worshiping and praising and enjoying like sound that has been organized and beat that is measured in a way that's somehow just innately pleasing. Yeah. Pancake Robot does it for me. And I think if you listen to it, you'll find some enjoyment as well. So if you have kids... I, I'm late to this party. This is a song that's by somebody called Perry Grip. I think he has a bunch of songs, especially about food and upbeat, kind of this kind of rhythm and meter. But uh, this was released in 2016. So wow. it's been out there for a while. So if you know, then you know. But if you don't know, then Pancake Robot. Yeah, it, there's a lot. There's a lot of surprisingly good kids, like music for kids. Like, there's a there's a singer called Charlie Hope. It's a, a female singer. And oftentimes, you know, I'll have I'll have Charlie Hope on the um playing on Apple Music when I'm driving and I have Augie in the car with me. So then the next time I get in the car, Charlie Hope is playing and I'm like, I don't need to change it. Like it's it's just good. She has this song called The Train Song, and it's just like yeah, it, yeah, it's like pretty simple and straightforward, but it's actually like strangely compelling kind of folk music. Exactly. Um so yeah, or like um Actually, there's a, a group called Slugs and Bugs that does similar kinds of kids music. And there's one of the albums has Andrew Peterson on it, who's like a worship singer kind of guy. And like he sings on one of the albums. So, yeah, check it out. I, I'll have to check that out for sure. I, Augie has not discovered Robot Pancake or Pancake Robot or whatever it is. So I'll have to find that. Um, and the other thing I've learned, this is what I've learned just to throw my own two cents in as a very new father. I thought that I would hate the repetitiveness of this kind of music. And I'm finding I actually just don't like I, I don't get sick of these songs be because I see the joy that my son has when these songs yeah. come on and how much. And also like it sometimes it stops them from screaming. So it's like a little bit of a respite, but like <laughs> they're just good, fun songs. I'll have to check this out. Robot pancake or pancake robot. Pancake robot. Pancake robot. I'm sure if I put pancake and robot in Google, regardless of the order, I'm sure it will come up. Yeah. It'd be, it'd be amazing if there was like another two songs with slightly different order by different artists, like that are substantially different, but that, yeah, you're right. This is one of those things when I heard it and, and he loves to do the robot, like a kind of robot dance to this, which is hilarious as well. So 
but the whole point I think that I was like really struck by with this is like the melody is solid and you're going to listen to it and think, wow, this is stuck in my head like instantly. And there's just something joyous about that. It's okay to lean into that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Kids latch onto a beat pretty fast. You don't have to teach them. They they just find the beat and they bounce to it and they slap their leg to it and they clap to it and you, they yes. just figure it out. It's it's pretty remarkable. Yes, yeah, that's that's for sure. So I think you had said like you don't have particularly a denial, that's right, true. on this episode. So do you want to come along with mine? Are you willing sure. to just like carte blanche? Let's like do up it. Front, I trust you with your yeah. denial. I'm denying whatever Jesse is denying. Okay, so this is great. So here's the thing: in the same vein of music, there are songs that you hear that you wish that you hadn't heard. Oh man. And that's because like they either become like this massive, like earwig or earworm or because like you just cannot remove them from yourself. So I have two words for everybody. Here's a song. It's called pancake robots. (laughs) And I only heard this song several hours ago. I've listened to it by myself with nobody else in the room four times. <laughs> so that's uh, that's the pull and allure of music, which again is just in many ways just kind of like a closeted affirmation that when God says sing or sing a new song, what he's saying is this is a way to continue to build worship into our lives and our consciousness in ways that no matter like where we go, how we traverse life, what happens to us, that there is there is something that is going on that continues to propel us into this act of meditative worship. So at the same time that I'm affirming Pancake Robot, I'm also in kind of a small way, or maybe not so small, denying Pancake Robot because I just, again, loved ones, listen to this. Once you hear that chorus, like, all you can eat, yum, yum, (laughs) all you can eat, (laughs) yum, yum, it's going to change you. It's going to be with you for a while. So I affirm it, but also say, listen to it at your own peril because you will be listening to it in your own mind for quite some time. You know what I just thought? The, this Pancake Robot song um, is probably about as spiritually deep as, what do you think I'm going to say? <laughs> I bet you know what I'm going to say. Honestly, but over our course of episodes, I have a few options. So I'm, I'm kind of curious to see like which direction you take this. <laughs> I was going to say God's Great Dance Floor. Mm-hmm. It's God's great dance floor. So it, here's the thing. I, this is, and I I don't mean a whole lot of disrespect in saying this because there, there is a lot of great music from the artist, but I knew it was going to be Chris Tomlin because it was either going to be like Joy Unspeakable Joy or God's Great Dance Floor. Yeah, yeah. There's probably any number of of songs we could have could have picked. It is telling that we both went to the same one though. Yeah. There's probably a lot of songs that I could pick that would anger people because they really like those songs. Like Good, Good Father. That's one that I would say probably fits in that category in some ways. Again, you know who wrote that. Yeah, exactly. It's true. Yeah. There's there's a theme here. One of these is not like the other, and there is nothing in what we just said that was not unlike the other. <laughs> well, Jesse, this was my uh, my idea to go through a couple of these these prayers that we find in the Bible. We're not sure which prayers we're going to go through or how many we're going to go through, but one of the things that I was um, convicted might not be the right word, but like was impressed upon me as we went through this, um, this series on the Lord's prayer is we should not, we should not fall into the trap of thinking that the, the model prayer that's given to us in Matthew six or the parallel um, in Luke, which is slightly shorter, but the parallel in Luke, we shouldn't fall into the trap of thinking that this is the only example of prayer that we see in the Bible. 
And because the Bible is this cohesive organic whole, we also shouldn't be surprised when we look at prayers, um, particularly inspired prayers. And so I'll explain what I mean when I say that today, because there are prayers in the Bible that are the prayers themselves are not necessarily inspired, um, even though their recording, the recording of the prayers is. Right? right, but this prayer that we're going to look at today, Habakkuk, uh, we're looking at chapter three, which basically the whole chapter is Habakkuk's prayer in response to um, his complaint against God and God's response to Habakkuk um, or Habakkuk. How do you say it, Habakkuk? Habakkuk? I'm more Habakkuk, but let's just just go with whatever flows. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what the Hebrew is. Some some Hebrew scholar can correct me. It's probably like Habakkuk, but. Um, <laughs> This third chapter, and I'm going to read the whole the whole prayer here. But the third chapter is the basically Habakkuk's or Habakkuk's response to God's response to his complaint, um, right. and it, it's it's actually a it's it's a psalm. It it follows the same format of the Psalms in in a very real sense. Um, it it has a lot of affinity with a lot of the Psalms, so you, you could probably do the same kind of exercise that we're going to do today with most of the Psalms. Um, the Psalms are a little bit different because they're meant to be sung as praise. So they're not necessarily petitions or or prayers in the same sense. Some of them are, but um, we shouldn't be surprised when we start to see themes and points from the Lord's Prayer, right? We had these different petitions and each petition kind of addressed a different topic or an element of how we address God. We will see as we go through this prayer and as we go through other prayers um, over the coming weeks, they all hit those same basic points, um, not necessarily in the same order, which is helpful because it instructs us that the order of the Lord's Prayer, the order that we pray, although we should usually have a, a sort of a, a progression through our prayers, I think, um, the order is not necessarily ordained or inspired. We can pray. We can swap the petitions around in different orders, and, and we're still honoring and pleasing God. We're not connected or... or um, beholden to some specific rote order of prayer. Um, But I wanted to go through some of these scriptural prayers to show that this model prayer that Jesus gave us in one sense is um, it's new and groundbreaking because it's God himself explicitly teaching us didactically how to pray. So there's a newness to it or a, a novelty to it. But in another sense, Jesus as a, you know, human person or a a person with a human nature, Jesus being genuinely man, learned how to pray from reading the scriptures. So there's this this dynamic kind of cycle that we see where like the scriptures informed Jesus according to his humanity on how to pray. And so therefore we also can be instructed by those scriptures on how to pray. And then because of that instruction, Jesus instructed his disciples to pray and us by extension in a particular way. So I'm excited to look at some of these passages and look at some of these prayers and just sort of talk through the different elements that we see that we also saw in the Lord's prayer. Yeah, I appreciate that. It's this idea that it's not just the continuity of approach, but that of course, from like eternity past, God was instructing his people and by the power of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament was giving the words to his people that are proper for prayer. And then I like what you said. This is kind of like Mark Jones style, this reminder that 
Jesus was learning all of obedience. He was submitting himself to the scriptures. And in so doing, he himself was in fact learning. That's the scriptures tell us. And part of that learning happened in the course of how to dialogue with the father. And then when he gives the Lord's prayer, in some ways he's recapitulating all of this massive body of instruction and knowledge yeah, yeah. that has been given to God's people from the very beginning. And so it, you know, we might be as kind of this myopic people surprised to go back and say like, oh my goodness, look there, there we see some of the elements, the same petitions. But of course, like we can cut to God saying like, I've been instructing you all along. Yeah. And Jesus, all, all he does, quote unquote, is come and instruct us in the way that he has been disciplining his people from the very beginning on how to communicate with him. And so I like what you're saying. I think we should go to Habakkuk chapter three, because I think sometimes we forget that there are other places in the scripture where there is like explicit instruction about prayer or singing or meter or rhythm. And we think it's just relegated strictly to the Psalms. And yet that's not the case. Like God's people are always singing yeah, and they're always praising and they're always praying. And they're always doing that through ways of music and voice and speaking and rhythm. And all of those things are just part and parcel of how God encourages and instructs his people to interact with him. And so it's really lovely and nice to be able to see that with great continuity, see that thread woven throughout the scriptures. And then see Jesus coming and saying like, do these things, do what God has instructed you to do. Yeah. So a little bit of background, just some context for this prayer, because it's important. You know, every every prayer, whether it's a scriptural prayer or our own prayers, they all happen in a context. And right. so it's important for us as we look at a scriptural prayer to kind of ground it in this context. So Habakkuk, we don't really know much about Habakkuk. Most of the prophets have some sort of like indicator of who they are or when they're praying all we really know about Habakkuk is that he's a prophet and that he's praying sometime before the fall of Judah to Babylon. That's really all that we know about Habakkuk and the, right. the specific timing of it. Chapter one of Habakkuk is essentially this back and forth between God and Habakkuk, right? He, uh, the prophet kind of goes to God and he lodges his complaint and he's like, oh God, all this stuff is going on. There's violence, there's both within my people of Israel, both within Judah, and then also there's violence outside. And he kind of says, how long are you going to make me wait? How often am I going to cry out to you? And you're not going to listen. Why, why is all of this violence before me? Why do you look at it and do nothing? And so God responds to him. It actually follows a sort of similar pattern to the book of Job broadly, where like God hears the complaint and responds. And God basically says, well, you think it's, he says like, okay, well, you want me to punish, you want to punish this violence. What I'm going to do is I'm going to bring in even more violent people, right? I'm going to bring the Chaldeans. I'm going to bring the Babylonians. And they're going to, not only are they going to overcome you, but they're going to overcome you in a pretty brutal way. And so chapter two now is, is, is the prophet kind of trying to like work through that and saying, you know, God, how is it possible that you're going to bring about retribution and justice by means of an unjust people who are going to come and, and do right. sinful things. How is that even feasible? And God responds. And so chapter three is very different in tone. It's very different in kind of like the, the tenor of the prayer. It's a prayer versus an oracle. So it's a different genre of things it's written as a Psalm. Um, but it's coming in the context of the prophet, basically coming to this place of trusting in the Lord, despite looking at the situation and not being able to comprehend it. Even God's response to him in a certain sense is kind of incomprehensible, 
right? God basically says like, I'm the Lord, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And the prophet comes to this place of trusting in the Lord, which we'll see really is the culmination of the prayer. So I'm going to read through um, chapter three here. I'm going to read the whole thing, and then we'll probably reread portions of it as we come to different parts we want to call out. So the uh, first verse of chapter three here, it says, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, according to Shinnegoth. O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. His splendor covers the heaven and his earth was full of praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hands and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Cushan in affliction. The curtains of the lands of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. Selah. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice and lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place and the light of your arrows as they sped at the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in your anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. Selah. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors, who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trembled the sea, you trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear and my body trembles, my lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig trees should not blossom, nor the fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the yield food the field yields no food, the flocks be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's, and he makes me tread on my high places to the choir master with stringed instruments. Jesse, I'll let you have first crack at this. What, what, where do you want to start here? <laughs> so I think we should acknowledge something that you already said before is really in the first verse, this, this idea that, so there's something that's been made here that's explicit that sometimes in the Psalms is more implicit. And that is, it says, it is a prayer, like I said, of Habakkuk, the prophet. So it's established who he is and what he's doing. But this idea of that, according to Shiganoth, and that itself is, of course, like a Hebrew word here, referring to some kind of instruction of a worship or song. So here we have, again, this idea that the people are to come before the Lord and to sing these words, that it is instructional, is prescriptive. If not in the words themselves, like the literal words being used here, at least in this idea of what is represented here and what Habakkuk is trying to convey to the people. 
I think for me, here's where it starts, like knowing that there's so much here. And I think people should have like heard in their ear. So like, can I say this? Sometimes as on the other side of the cross, those who live in this understanding of Jesus dying and rising again, that we hear the Old Testament, but the themes of gospel are kind of like in an Old Testament accent. They're present, but they sound, or maybe we have like a tinny ear towards them. Yeah. They don't sound quite right, but we recognize that this the same themes are present. Hopefully that's what was drawn out. We see like this superintending will of God, these petitions of God to make his name and renown, this hallowedness of who he is known to his people, this immediate fear of God that is like this holy dread of God that is a great respect for who he is. But for me, the center of this is really that happens in verse 13. You went forth for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. So there's this recognition recognition again that like what we talked about before in the words of like all of the different um uh, the different catechisms and creeds that we understand and respect, this idea that everything is subservient to our salvation. Yeah. I've realized that the place to start is in the middle of this prayer, which is that you went forth for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed, so that everything that he talks about, both like the great calamity that falls upon God's people and also the great rejoicing that says like, no matter what happens, even if there's no food on the table, there's no fruit on the vine, that no, no less you went out by your own great volition and your great love. You went out to secure for yourself the salvation of your people. So that's where like, I would start. That's where I'm like drawn to. Even as I heard you read this, I was waiting for that Zenith, that accumulation and that culmination and that high praise of God as our God, the God that we have, who is unlike any other God goes out on his own for his own glory because he chooses to, he does so for the salvation of his people. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, for me, this prayer helps to underscore that even though I think it is wise and proper for us to sort of hit all the main points of what the model prayer or the Lord's prayer teaches us, right? There's these different petitions. I think ordinarily in our prayers, it's important for us to kind of work through each of those petitions. I don't right. know if you want to call it like a prayer session, but when we sit down to pray, it's good and healthy and it's like a balanced meal for us to to hit all of the different elements of the Lord's Prayer. But this prayer here in, in Habakkuk 3 is it's not balanced in that way. Right. Exactly. Right. This there's no, there's no um there's no petition for our sins to be forgiven within within this, right? It's it's predominantly I think that's obviously in the background when we're talking about the salvation of God's people. Habakkuk knows that the the physical salvation of God's people is not coming. So when he talks about salvation, when he talks about the Lord going out for the salvation of his people, he's not talking about the Lord defending him from their enemies. He he can't be because he just got done for two chapters for the whole oracle of Habakkuk being told that God's enemies are coming and that that's God's instrument to, to punish his people, to chastise and punish his people. So Habakkuk is looking at this, although, like I said, the, the salvation from sin and, and sort of soteriological salvation, if we want to call it that, that's what I think he has in mind when he talks about the salvation here. But the right. prayer, like the prayer of forgive us our, our, our debts as we have forgiven those who are, are, as we have forgiven our debtors, that's not here. And what that helps to underscore for me when I read this prayer is, 
even though it's good and proper and healthy for us in most of our instances to um, hit all of the main points of the Lord's prayer, all of the main petitions, we don't always have to do that. So Habakkuk's prayer for lar- in large part is going through and it is following an order, but it's primarily what we might kind of say like the prologue or the first petition, the first couple of petitions of the Lord's prayer. It really is centered around the idea that God is high and he's lifted up and he's glorious. So like um, for me, what caught my attention is verse two, starting right away at the beginning. Oh Lord, I've heard the report of you and your work. Oh Lord, do I fear in the midst of your years, revive it in the midst of your years, make it known in wrath. Remember mercy, right? So there is this petition that in your wrath, remember mercy, this forgive us of our sins kind of language, but it's really about proclaiming who God is. He, he proclaims that he's heard what the Lord has done. He's learned what the Lord, who the Lord is. And he grounds the rest of his prayer in this concept of who God is. So all of, all of what he says about God trampling the rivers and, and shooting arrows at the wicked, all of that is in the context of acknowledging God's goodness, his holiness, all of this language about God's um, pestilence and plagues going before and following the Lord, this punishment of God's people. Habakkuk understands this within the context of God's holiness and God's deliverance in the past, the hope for deliverance in the future. All of that is baked into this prayer. Yeah, I t- I'm totally on board with that. Like this sense that, and this again, we have in the Lord's Prayer, but God is over all things. This is very like Romans 8 style that all things working for good, of course, and that we would pray those things, acknowledge those things in our prayer is a reflection of the fact that God in his holiness is so far above us that his thoughts are so far beyond us that what he desires is truly the best for us. Even if that means there is some point of discipline or rebuke or correction. And so here you have Habakkuk really leaning into that. I mean, it's just a proper understanding and to acknowledge that God sometimes does that in our lives. And that though things might be different than the way that we exactly want them, doesn't, of course, change the fact that God is working and he's always at work. So this is kind of, in some ways, using prayer to help us transform our minds, to catch up in our our thoughts and in our hearts, so to speak, like the center of our emotional being, with what God does and who God is. So when we see and listen to and read these prayers, it really is a great testimony that should encourage us to help us understand the fact that God is, in fact, working in our lives. And often prayer is the way in which he does that. It's a reorientation. And so I love that Like this is the model that's given to us. When we pray that God would give us this day our daily bread, we're in some ways recognizing that we have superfluous needs, that they're not the kind of things that we exactly need that are prerequisite to living and moving through the day. So to acknowledge that God gives us exactly what we need, but not everything that we want because he is a good father and a good father often withholds the things that he knows will be destructive to us because we have myopic needs or we're not entirely sighted, is in fact like a great gift, is a great act of grace. So I love even the, that uh, Habakkuk praise, like where there is judgment, where you remember mercy, that your people are weak that we might see like this juxtaposition of the fact that while you judge and in your wrath, you're right to do that. Would you still spare us even in our lives, even in our well-being, 
because we are sinful people, we want to want to be close to God. But sometimes that's exactly what we're asking for in our prayers is that, God, would you help us to love you back? Would you give us the strength to understand who you are and then the strength to love you back? Would you help us to know who you are? And then in that knowledge, to actually behave rightly before you to have great respect and deference for you. That's just not normative in the carnal man. So we have to pray these things, asking that God would grant them to us. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, there's a lot to this prayer and I, I, I wish we, this wasn't an episode where we had some time constraints because I think we could spend a lot more time talking about it, but I want to make sure that we cover a couple, a couple specific things. So Habakkuk grounds a lot of his confidence in God in this prayer in a way that you might not recognize, but he's grounding it in an understanding of who God has been in the past and what God has done in the past. And you wouldn't, the only reason I know this is because I'm the next preaching series I'm planning on doing is through Habakkuk. So I've been doing some study in, um, in commentaries on this. And in verse three, when he says, God came from Teman and the Holy one from Mount Perrin, that's sort of like a super summarized version of the conquest narrative, right? right. So Mount Teman or from Teman is in the South Southern part of Israel and Mount Perrin is in, I think if I'm remembering the commentaries, right, or maybe I have this reversed, but Perrin is in the north. And so when you talk about God coming from Teman and moving through from Mount Perrin, it's this image of God sweeping from south to north through the Holy Land. And that's where it says his splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. Habakkuk is recalling a time where God swept through the land. He cast out all of the inher- in, in, inhabitants of the land and he inhabited the land. I was just reading in Ezekiel this morning, and uh, I, it's it's towards the end. I don't remember the chapter off the top of my head, but there's this section where God, uh, Ezekiel is given new dimensions for a new temple, basically. But it's not really a temple. It's the whole land of Israel. And there's like this huge section that is the Holy of Holies. And it's like a section right. that's larger than most of the Holy Land itself. And so this picture of God sweeping through the land. This is this is Habakkuk reflecting on what God has done and then grounding his trust and his confidence in the goodness of God, not just abstractly. It's good for us it's good for us to abstractly understand that God is good and to trust God because he is good. But we're we're sort of we're not sort of we're weak and frail people. And so God not only allows us to, but he encourages us and commands us to reflect on his mighty works in history. So that's important to remember for our own prayers is that when we pray, when we come to the Lord, we're not coming to the Lord in some sort of like vacuum of what he has done in our life. You know, we, we talked a lot about how we should, we should praise God for who and what he is, not just what he's done for us. But God accommodates himself and accommodates and allows our prayers to be grounded in what we've experienced of him as well. That's super common throughout all of the Psalms, right? There's lots of Psalms that are grounded in God's victory over Egypt, his victory over, you know, the Canaanites, what he's done when he indwelled the temple, all of these different mighty works of God in history. God grounds the Psalms uh, as he's inspired them in a lot of those things. And I think that if you're the casual reader of Habakkuk who hasn't studied that, that phrase was very confusing to me when I first started. But now that I've studied the commentaries a little bit, it makes a lot more sense. And I think it's really, really key. And it's very instructive for us as we pray. 
yes, go to the Lord and praise him for who he is, but also praise him for what he's done. Right. And, and we, you know, we right talked on. about in the theology proper series, like we have to distinguish between who God is and what God has done, but he's praiseworthy first and foremost, because of who and what he is, but not apart from, or not, um, utterly divorced from what he has done, right? God has acted mightily in history for the salvation of his people, kind of broadly speaking, but he's acted mightily in history for the salvation of each and every person whom he has chosen to save. Each one of those, each one of the elect represents its own miraculous work, mighty work of God in salvation as well. So I think it's key, and this is something I think Habakkuk instructs us on, is to remember what God has done when we go to pray. Yes, we pray to the Lord who is in heaven. We pray to our Father who is in heaven. All of that's true, but we also pray to our Father who came from Teman and came from Mount Paran, right? We, we pray to our Father who sent his only son so that all who believed in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. We pray to our father who, who chose and saved me as an individual as well. We are not only allowed to, but we're commanded to keep those things in mind as we pray. And that's like the identity of God's people, isn't it? The sense that it's not as if just that God has said, like, I want to put a stamp on you. That is true. That stamp, though, is manifest in this great salvation. So even the Israelites, their great identity was that they were brought through the Red Sea, that they were saved and spared and came through miraculously. So no less than they are we who find that like God comes and he rescues us through the waters of baptism and through the death of Christ, his resurrection, so that we might be made alive together with his son. And so we find that our identity, like the root of this, the first order of the first principles is always in the saving. And in that saving, we find not just God does great things, but he is good things. Yeah. And so that is the outworking. And there you find it here. So I'm totally with you. I think that part of our prayer life, maybe the underemphasized place should be that God, you are good. I know that goodness because of like the saving acts, like your great mercy, even in judgment, but that there is a miraculous thing in any kind of saving. So the same kind of salvation that's manifest in the Israelites being hemmed in by these great and mighty waters, and then God parting them so they might walk through with the softest sand between their toes on dry land is in fact the same kind of saving where he takes any person right now and rescues them from the jaws of death and from the sin, from sin and the devil, from destructive behaviors and bad habits and sinful nature, and restores that and redeems that and brings them into this glorious kingdom. That is equal miracle. I mean, yeah. there's just no other way to say it. I couldn't find another word. Yeah. And so I think what we find here in this prayer is that very thing that God is worthy of being praised. He's also, as part of that praise, being worthy of being feared because like he is so holy, so high and lifted up. So when he condescends to bring rescue, when he goes out on his own volition by his own choice for his people to bring about their salvation, this is cause in every conceivable way for worship, for the kind of prayer that says, thank you and you are good and you are far beyond what we can conceive. And because you're far beyond what we can conceive, that other like worldliness, that alienness as it were, is threatening to us. It's scary. And I yeah. think we can lean to that a bit and say that that's okay. It would be the kind of scary to us 
if and except for the grace of God himself, except for the intermediating power of Jesus Christ who comes to intercede on our behalf. It is a scary thing. So like, I don't want to pull away from this fact that judge, God judges rightly. Like his wrath is completely righteous, yeah. meaning that it is in every circumstance completely on point. And everybody, like either now or in the judgment, will sit back and be like, yep, you were totally right, God. Yeah. Yep, that was the right call. Yes, I should have been judged and punished. I was absolutely in the wrong. You have done nothing here that is not exactly correct. So what you have in Habakkuk's prayer is like an acknowledgement of all those things. And because of that, then it moves into this like this just glorious praise, this doxology of like, God, you have done this thing. You have gone out and trampled the nations. You went forth for the salvation of your people. You struck the head of the house of evil to him lay open from thigh to neck. Like that is, I know some people would be uncomfortable with this language, but like that violence yeah. is true. I would argue the kind of violence you want for your enemies. That is if somebody is actually against you in an unrighteous way, that is they are coming against you to bring about judgment that is not truly yours to bear. What you want is not like a slowing of that judgment. You don't want your enemy to be like just slightly subdued or set back or to have a hurdle which they must cross over. What you want is for their head to be crushed. Yeah. And Jesus is the head crusher. God is the one who comes and says, I will deal with sin, death, and the devil irrevocably. And as people who are saying, yes, Lord, Maranatha, like come and have mercy on us. That is exactly what we want. And Habakkuk just does that like so beautifully in this prayer. Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like we're shortchanging this last uh, this last three verses here because th- to me this is like the culmination of the whole prayer. So good. Yeah, it's not just like I mean it it actually is the culmination just structurally, but it also right. theologically is the payoff of the whole book of of Habakkuk. So starting in verse seventeen, though the fig tree should not blossom nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on the high places. This this passage here represents um, the most distilled, rarefied, like, purified version of what give us this day our daily bread means because we often think of give us this day our daily bread or give us today today's bread however we want to phrase it we often think of that as like lord meet my needs and then there's this kind of like asterisk that's like almost like we add like and if you don't there's sort of like i don't really trust you this is lord I trust you to meet my needs, even if meeting my needs means there's no food, there's no flocks, there's nothing, right? Even if it means my enemies overcome me, even if it means there's no food, even if it means that my animals have died, my land has been taken, the enemies have overcome me, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Not just I will trust in the Lord, I will rejoice in the Lord. Right on. Like this, this is the essence of what it means to trust the Lord is that no matter what he has brought about, what what it makes me think of, I don't remember the passage off my head, off the top of my head, but when Samuel in first Samuel, it's gotta be in the first four or five chapters, Samuel hears from the Lord. He doesn't fully understand what's going on. And um, Eli says, you must've heard from the Lord. Go back. Next time he calls you say your servant is listening. 
So Samuel does it. And what the Lord tells him is not good news for Eli, right? He, right. he says like, Eli, your house is going to end. Your sons are going to die. You're going to die because of, you know, because you've been wicked. Samuel goes and tells him, Eli, it's funny because Eli is painted as both an, uh, an unadmirable character, but then also in this one way as like this supremely admirable character. Because the message from the Lord for Eli is that your house is going to end and you are going to face judgment. And right. rather than dig in, Eli says, he is the Lord and he will do what's right. Like that's that's just this beautiful statement of trust in the Lord that even though he's going to punish me, even though my temporal goods and my temporal world is going to end and, and end not pleasantly. We're not talking about dying quietly in my bed after living a long life with lots of grandchildren. Like Eli died in a really embarrassing, terrible way after his sons were killed. Like, it's just not good. But yet he says, I, I will trust him. He, he is the Lord and he will do what is right. That's what this prayer, the ending of this prayer represents, right? Habakkuk has just been told by the Lord, not only uh, is the violence in Judah not going to end, but I'm going to bring a more violent, more haughty, more idolatrous people upon you, and they're going to destroy and take everything. That's the good news for Habakkuk out of this, right? right? And what Habakkuk is able to do is say, I trust the Lord. And this has been an ongoing theme now, I think for two or three years probably, right? Question one of the Heidelberg Catechism has this little phrase in it that all things must be subservient to the salvation of God's people. Right. All things right. must be subservient to my salvation is the way the phrase, the, the Heidelberg phrase, because it's, it's a, a first person statement. That is an amazing level of trust that needs to be present in our prayers. How often do we go to the Lord and we're asking him for something, which is totally good and totally appropriate. It's totally acceptable and understandable and desirous and commanded for us to go to the Lord and to ask him to fulfill our needs and our desires. That's fine. But to then be able to, at the end of your prayer or as part of your prayer, say, but even if you not only don't give me what I want or even give me what I think I need, but if you take all of that away, yet I will trust and praise the Lord. That to me is just, that is the culmination and the pinnacle of what it means to ask God to give us our day, our daily bread. Yeah, and you're right. And we can trust him in that way because what we learned from the Lord's prayer and also from Habakkuk here is that, again, God goes out for his the salvation of his people. That's why he's leaving. Yeah, that's why he's making journey. That's why he's doing the things that he does. He doesn't have to do those things. He goes out on his own volition. So, I'm totally with you. I think like this should be the kind of thing that empowers us. Yeah, to understand who our God is. It's a bit like uh, some of us think about this. I think I mentioned this in our conversations before as we recorded them. When I think of like Ananias and Sapphira in uh, Acts chapter five, and the fact that they have this great indiscretion by. It's not that they are failing to give to the Lord. It's that they lie or hold right, back. Right. They sell this property and then they say, well, yes, I've given everything to God's work when really they haven't. And of course, we can talk about what it means that it's okay that God blesses us, gives us gifts. The problem here is that they lied. And so in so doing, they're immediately struck down. My And this is just my like Jesse's interpretation of the scripture here. I have to think that as Ananias and Sapphira stand before the Lord, and, you know, they're judged for what they've just done. They realized they were literally just struck down. A life was taken from them because they had done this great injustice against God that they themselves would say, you were right. Yes. That 
what you've done right here is exactly according to your holiness and your will. And I yield to that. I recognize that. So in part, we're trying to take where we could in our own lives be judged ourselves in very dramatic ways, including the taking of our lives. We're trying to pull that into the present apart from that kind of judgment that pulls us out of this world and say, God, you are just, you are holy. I fear you because you have this power at your disposal and because you're always right. And so this is in many ways submitting like not just ourselves, but like our consciousness, our logic, our reasoning, when God through the scripture says, this is the way we ought to say, no matter what I think about that, no matter how I try to reason myself out of it, use my own ego, it is right. Yes. And therefore I submit to it. So that I think could be a whole other podcast, which I'm sure we'll get into sometime about all the things that are happening in our world right now. And of course, the across time itself in human history, but you're entirely right, at least in my perspective, that what God is calling us here to in this prayer is to recognize him to appreciate him, to acclaim him, not just to credit him, but to acclaim him and then to ascribe to him the worth that is due his name. And we start that way in our prayers so that it influences the way next in the way we think and the way that we behave. And again, I think Habakkuk provides for us this beautiful model of all those things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Jesse, we we could easily continue to go on. I mean, this is the scripture. So of course we could got that right. we could write volumes and we could produce hundreds of podcasts on this this subject. But for now, I think we're gonna have to put a pin in it. So we're gonna we're gonna go through at least one more week of digesting some scriptural prayers. We don't know what that's gonna be yet because we don't really plan this more than a couple of days in advance. But th- this to me has been a super helpful instructive exercise to really just look at a scriptural prayer and really kind of think of it through the lens of what does our understanding of how God has taught us how to pray, what does that teach us about how we should understand and reflect on this prayer? I think that's a really helpful framework for us to look at any sort of prayer in scripture, whether it's the Psalms individually, right? Those are all praise songs. Those are all prayers. That's a good point to make of this is that this ends by basically what's usually a superscription or like the title of a Psalm. This ends with that. So it ends with right. to the choir master or with stringed instruments. So right. there's a whole other, whole other element of our praise songs. You know, we kind of started off by joking about like God's great dance floor and good, good father, like our praise songs are prayers to the Lord. And so they should be governed by and restricted by and constrained by and driven by the same exact considerations of our prayer life, whether it's private or public prayer. They should, they're driven by those same explanations. That's a whole different podcast episode or or series of <laughs> affirmations and denials. But this has been super helpful for me as I've reflected on it to think through it this way, to think what does... What does the Lord's Prayer teach me about how to understand this particular part of Scripture, which exactly. which is a recorded prayer? So we'll come back to these themes. We'll talk about it more. We'll un- unpack it more. Uh, but I know that we're coming up against a, a little bit of a time constraint. So rather than extend this longer than it has to, I'm just going to say, Jesse, until next time, honor everyone. Love the brother. This world.